I'm Matt Downing, and welcome to Diving Deep EDU. Curious conversations with all types of peeps. Encouraging innovation, we are diving deep. Certainly education is what we like to speak. Fervent with dedication, now it is time to teach. Hey everyone, and thanks for joining me on Diving Deep EDU. This podcast is based in conversations that are willing to go off on a rabbit trail or two in order to find those aha moments. Those times when someone is able to say something in a way that brings increased clarity. Now, I'm an educator, so much of our conversations will have that as the end goal. How can the things that we are talking about help us to dive deeper into educational practices? Thanks for tuning in. Our guest is Richard Byrne. Richard is a former high school social studies teacher and a current computer science teacher. He is a cyclist and is best known for his blog, freetechforteachers.com, which is read by an audience of more than 500,000 people worldwide. Richard is also a contributing author to numerous publications. He is a speaker and he is a presenter at conferences and schools around the world. Richard, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you doing? I'm great. I'm great. So, so Richard, let's start with, uh, you know, being in the classroom. So you currently teach. What, what exactly do you teach in the classroom these days? Students. Uh, <laughs> so I, I teach students. Uh, high school students in particular in the subjects uh, around computer science. So uh, I have one class that is uh, PC PC assembly and repair, which is really hands-on, you know, nuts and bolts of how do these things that we use in our everyday life actually work. Uh, I have a, I teach a course on networking in which we build networks and students learn uh, network security concepts and how to how to build a secure network and then i have a then i have a a course in programming in which students learn as you might expect programming i would do we start out with start out with uh doing some android app development then we get into uh building building into doing some stuff with robotics and with my second and third year kids we kind of go into whatever areas that they're interested in. I have a lot of, I'm, flex, I'm fortunate to have a lot of flexibility in my program. Uh, my school is fantastic in that regard, that they give us a lot of flexibility on what we can do once we've kind of covered the, the year one introductory materials. Uh, you know, this past year before COVID-19 and, and school shutting down, I had, I had two kids who were, uh, trying to build and program their own drones, basically, but they were wheelchair drones. Uh, is actually what they were what they were trying to do. Uh, that would interact with the walls and the the objects that they came in, came in contact with through sensors and sonar. So it, it really goes all over the place. Uh, 
Uh, and really, like I said at the beginning, I teach students and I try to try to help them. My, my third year students this year, those two kids I was just mentioning, uh, they're a light years ahead of me in terms of some of the stuff that they were conceptually doing. But my role was really to kind of help them think about the project planning and developing, developing the project, and jumping in when they got stuck in, in different places. Yeah, let's let's talk about that a little bit more because I don't know about you, but I feel like it's rare within schools to allow kids to actually explore the things that they want to explore. So as a teacher, right, as their instructor, how do you go about facilitating that learning experience while guiding them, but but still also giving them freedom to do what they want to do? Um, so again, part of this is that I have a I have very small classes, so that that's number one. Uh, you know, you've got to have. I have small classes. My biggest class has twelve kids in it, uh, so it's a and it's very different from when I taught social studies. And I would have you know six sections of twenty to twenty five, or in one case, you know, thirty kids, yeah. six times, four times uh, in a day, or you know, six times in an eight block rotation sort of thing. Uh, now I have kids, you know, my biggest class had 12 kids in it and I had them for 80 minutes. And then I had another class of 11 kids and I had them for 160 minutes. Uh, so I had a lot of time, right? That's the big thing. Uh, small classes, a lot of time. And with that time, you get to know what your students are interested in, first of all. Some students make it really obvious from the moment they walk in the classroom or you walk into the classroom what they're interested in. Others, you kind of have to help them discover what they're interested in, if you will. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I I came into it with uh, you know taking over from a teacher who had been there for 12 years, and she was fantastic. And her background was a little bit different than mine. Uh, she had come from a, a corporate a corporate background. And her background is very much on the uh, network security side, right? And so a lot of kids that I had who were carryovers, uh, that's what they were interested in. But they, but that was because of who they had prior to me. Mm -hmm. And then over the course of the year, they, they realized, oh, like there's other stuff that's interesting. And Mr. Brown will let me go down that road if, if I want to. And so... A lot of it's just kind of sitting down, sitting down next to kids, and you know, having a conversation about what are you interested in, you know, what are your what are your kind of goals for, you know, I'm not talking about goals for life because that's a whole different, you know, that's guidance department stuff. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I'm not really, what are, what are your kind of your goals for the next next semester or the next next year? What would you like to do? Uh, and I also have a lot of flexibility in my budget, which is you know, a huge advantage that I didn't have when I taught social studies. You know, when I taught social studies, I had, you know, whatever budget was allotted to me from the department. Now I am my own department head and I have a lot of flexibility in my budget. And I can say to, and I can say to kids, Hey, what's your idea? You know, draw up your plan. And so I do a lot of work with project planning with kids. That's a big piece of it. Uh, just get them to think about steps of a project and go, okay, so we, we need X, Y, and Z components and we're going to go on Amazon or we're going to go on whatever, you know, CDW or wherever we buy, you know, wherever the 
the best prices are for whatever we need, and uh, we order them within reason. So, uh, so, but really, it gets down to getting to know, getting to know the kids, and letting them, you know, I'd say let let them break stuff. That's, you know, like, you know, within reason, right? You know, if we're doing soldering, you know, with my with my PC assembly and repair class, you know, I have to be a little bit more safety conscious, I guess you say, you know, I, I can't have kids, you know, soldering and I can't have kids, you know, just like willy nilly, not, you know, electrocuting themselves because they didn't follow protocols. So that stuff I have to, you know, really be a stickler on. But yeah, uh, once we've got that stuff in place, you know, it's really, Hey kids, what are you interested in? Uh, you know, spend a lot of time looking at just interesting projects. You know, we, I had a lot of, a lot of my, my second year students, uh, spend a lot of time on, on sites like, like instructable where they're just looking at, Oh wow, that's a really cool thing. Could I make something like that? And you know, away, away we go. Uh, <laughs> I had one kid who was trying to make, well not trying to make, he eventually did make a website where you could type in a word and it would spit out a dad joke for you. Uh, <laughs> you know, that, that was like his bit. That was the big thing he wanted to work on. Like he was really into making punny jokes and, uh, so that's what he, that's what he did, you know? So that was a lot of like database type of stuff. So it sounds like you you have to have these conversations, right? You have to build these relationships. You have to sit down and actually talk to your students, um, you know, about what they're interested in. And then there's some project planning, there's some exploration, right? And then how do you go about facilitating this, this development, this creating, like take the drone example, you know, that was done this past year. How'd you go about doing that? Well, so with that, one of the things that was really critical in the development of that development of that project over the, over the course of, you know, what ended up, it got, it got truncated because of, because of COVID-19. But, you know, where we left it, and I and one of those two students is actually coming back next, coming back this fall. Uh, oh, cool! In three weeks from today, uh, <laughs> or three weeks from yesterday, actually. Uh, so, so we'll we will get to see, hopefully, get to see it, uh, you know, all come to fruition in the end. But a big piece of that was asking them, you know, a lot of what if questions, uh, a lot of okay, so we know we know these three things are true about the code. We know these three things are true about the mechanics of your power supply. What if we change one of those three things? What's going to happen? You know, or, you know, what's the, we, we have these three things that are working correctly. What's the next step that we need to do to, to get, get us to run. So for, I'll give you a, a more concrete example of this. So at one point, they had it uh, capable of navigating in a straight line and stopping six to 12 inches short of any object that it came to. But what it was really not capable of doing was using that information to turn. <laughs> hmm. So some of it, so what we ended up doing is going back and saying, okay, well, what did we, what did we miss, right? What did we, well, we, we missed programming in a step for taking that feedback that what if statement okay what if you stop then what do you want to do do you want to turn right or turn left and we hadn't they hadn't gotten to the point of putting in sensors that would pick up objects that were to the periphery of the of the 
basically it was the bottom of an old uh, motorized wheelchair is what it was where all the guts of this thing were happening. Hmm. Uh, so that was kind of the, the place where, where we left off at the end of the, well, since the end of the year, but it's where we left off on March 13th when school was shut down. Yeah. Uh, Cause it was also really heavy, about 200 pound object, about 200 pounds. Uh, when you have, when you have two 24 volt batteries in it and all the mechanics that go with it, it's, it's pretty heavy, uh, pretty heavy duty thing. So, you know, again, a lot of that was just sitting down with them and having the time to say, okay, we've tried this. What's, you know, what's the piece that we're missing? Uh, It was a lot of smart, smart goal planning was a big part of it too. Uh, You know, so making sure that when we were working on it, one of the things that I discovered uh, through, mostly just through trial and error, one of the things I discovered about my, about that particular group is those two students is that they would go down all manner of paths, all, all directions. And it could get lost just going, Oh, well, we could do this. We could do that. We could do this. What if we, you know, so my role really became a role of saying, okay, yep, here are some possibilities, but let's keep in mind, we've written out a goal of by December 12th, it's going to be able to go in a straight line and stop six to 12 inches short of any object that's in its path without doing that. Uh, and I, and I figured that out pretty early in the school year, fortunately, you know, probably somewhere mid fall without giving them that structure and getting them back to, okay, we need, we've got some goals. We got to We got to hit, we got to hit, mm-hmm. hit these goals. Uh, they, we, we would have, you know, probably still been sitting around uh, a table in the room going, well, what about this? What about this? What about that? So, yeah. Uh, so I don't know if that answers your question, but it, it is uh, an answer to a question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it, it does. And, and I, you know, thank you for taking the time and sort of giving us insight into that process, because I think you're doing something that, that is very powerful. You're, you're handing over the learning to the students and you're, uh, you know, you're accessing their interests. You know, you're accessing uh, what they care about, right? You're you're tapping into student agency, and without a doubt, I'm sure you see engagement, you know, skyrocket, you know, through the roof, right? And you know, as apart from like you up there lecturing or or giving them these sort of structured lessons, worksheet sort of things. So yeah, I think uh, I think that's really helpful for you to sort of give us a glimpse, you know, how you go about doing that and then facilitating that with goals. But I also like how you're not giving it like it's still little, you know, there's room there for for movement between students. You know, you're sort of refusing to be like, okay, do this, 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 and you'll achieve uh, that. Um, Am I, am I right with what I'm saying? Yeah, that's right. And there are, you know, and I should say that there are some students that need a little bit Mm-hmm. Or do this, 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 and this. Okay. Right? There, there are some students who, who I shouldn't say need that, but they think they need that. Mm. Right? Uh, those are the students that usually excelled in traditional academic classrooms because they have been trained or done really what, or they're just they're predisposed. Their their natural inclination is the teacher said I need to do these five things are on the rubric and I'm going to do those five things that are on the rubric and kids who come to me from that background sometimes struggle early on because I don't give them the rubric with the five things they have to do to get an A. Right. Uh, and so there's a little bit of a 
you know, there's a little bit of coaching there that, that has to happen. There's a little bit of flexibility on, on both parts, right? It's not just the kid has to, you know, cave or mold to my style and I don't have to completely cave or mold to their style. We got to kind of find somewhere in the middle ground. You know, I, I'm picturing one kid in particular. I won't, I won't say his name in case he listens to the pod in case he ends up listening to this podcast. And I do have kids who I know will listen to this podcast <laughs> um, because I just, and again, I can, I won't say that, that kid's name either. Um, but, but I can picture, you know, I have one kid in, in particular who, Again, it's coming back next year for second year with me, and you know we we had some moments during the during the year where it was like, no, I, you're not telling me what he would say. You're not telling me what to do, and I'm like, I know I'm not telling you what to do. That's the point, you know. And we, so we we had some moments there, hmm. uh, you know, and then we kind of have to meet in the middle sometimes. Uh, no, but but to a point that you were saying just a, a moment ago, one of the things that I said in my interview for the job that I have now. And one of the things that I've said in, in keynotes and in presentations at various conferences is that it's really about trying to connect kids with projects that matter to them, right? That you know, one of the flaws in canned curriculum, you know, particularly things that try to be real world problems, right? Real world, pro- real world project-based learning so a lot of times those real world problems that come in those can those canned programs are not really a real world problem to a lot of kids right like you know for you know a classic example if you you know you're you're about my age i think and uh you know if you go back into our old math books that we had in the late 80s or early 90s and they would have the real world math problem at the end of every chapter. Like there's a hot air balloon traveling from Albuquerque at 10 miles an hour and one leaving Dallas at seven miles an hour. And it contains Jose, Steve and Maria. Where will they meet? And I'm like, I don't know where Albuquerque is, nor do I have any interest in being in a hot air, hot air balloon ever in my life. Right. Uh, I actually didn't know where Albuquerque was. I have a history. Yeah. Uh, but you, know, you, get, you get the idea. Like, like you know, for a lot of kids, that's that's not a real world problem. And even things that are more like that we think are real world problems for kids sometimes aren't. Right? Like I, I've seen I've seen some of this with social studies curricula in the past. Of oh, we're going to do this project where kids learn about um, you know they, they learn about compounding interest and how if they invest their money uh, in a mutual fund over you know over twenty years, they're going to have X number of dollars. Like, that's all well and good for some kids, but a lot of my kids, you know, I was working in a district where 85% of kids had free and reduced lunch. They're not worried about saving for retirement. They're worried about saving for buying a Big Mac at the end of the week. Like hmm. that's a much more realistic real world problem. So, you know, it, it comes back to, you know, letting kids kind of pick the problems that, that matter to them. You know, a classic example that I, that I give of this a lot is, uh, years ago, I, I had a student who was uh, kind of really in a, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, he was kind of entrepreneurial minded, right? Uh, that, that was kind of, but he was always, but he was also a very hard worker and always scraping for money. Well, one of the things that he figured out to do was how to use his own three, he got together the money for a 3D printer. His school didn't have one. And he started 3D printing parts for Jeeps. Like that was hmm. a 
was like, you know, our, our school had a, uh, an auto body program, right. But didn't have a 3d printer. He got, went out and did this on his own. You know, and he had a nice little sideline from doing that, but his real problem wasn't the Jeep. His real problem was he wanted money. Yeah. <laughs> like that, that was his real world problem. So mm. uh, that's, that's my rant about real world problems. So there, there might be some people listening and they, they're saying, well, Richard already said that he only has 12 kids in the class and, and they're able to, they're, he's already talked about his budget being big and they can go on and buy stuff. Of course they can deal with, you know, real world problems. How would we, you know, tapping into your other experience with social studies, let's use one of those examples. Yeah. Social studies class, 30 kids. How could we connect those kids to real world problems that they care about? I'm glad, I'm glad you asked because I, you know, free, free tech for teachers, my, you know, my website started when I was teaching high school social studies and it was born out of, I don't have any money. I don't have any, I don't have any, I don't have any disposable budget of my own. Like as a social studies teacher, I had zero control over the budget other than to go to my department head and say, can I get some money for this? Explain it to him. And he would check to see if there was money that we could, could get, right? And more times than not, it was no, because we have like $1,000 and you know, 12 teachers in our department, right? So at best, we each got 120 bucks or something for the whole year, right? Like not, not a whole lot of money. Uh, you know, so you know, one of the things that, you can, that I did was looking at, okay, what are the online resources that I have available to me that are, that are free or cheap? You know, doing doing things like you know, and I'm going to kind of date myself here now. Now, while I've been doing this, you know, one of the things I, I did early on was uh, having kids build wikis. You know, that's you know, they don't even make wikis anymore. Wikispace doesn't even exist anymore. Uh, you know, but that was 13 years ago, 13, 14 years ago now uh, that I was doing that, and a lot of it was around kids writing, and you know, this was. Early days, we didn't really have, you know, kids weren't have kids didn't have smartphones like they, they do now for making videos. But uh, you know, we, we, I did have a flip cam. Did have one flip cam. Uh, so early days, you know, I had kids in in my civics class who were doing things like, uh, you know, on their wiki page, they were doing write ups around issues for uh, our local elections. And you know, hmm. for 17, 18 year old kids, that can be really fun, really interesting, even if they don't really know all the issues around it. But I, I always found a really fascinating uh, example I'll, I'll give of this uh, that, I, that stands out in my my mind is many years ago, we had uh, this big budget referendum, big, uh, wasn't, a refer- wasn't a referendum uh, initiative, big budget initiative on our, on our ballot regarding how schools are going to be funded, and it was all tied to property taxes, property taxes, and how property taxes were calculated and whatnot. Anyway, that's kind of beside the point. The, the big point is that it was about pro- the, the core of the issue was property taxes. And you know, for 17 and 18 year old kids who have never paid property taxes, their perspective is way different than someone who's seen that property tax come out of their come out of their mortgage, right? Uh, come out of the escrow account, their their mortgage every, every month. But that that led into my students doing little interviews with parents and grandparents and you know other community members, they were writing about it. 
And it be, kind of became a real world issue for them because they were talking to the people who mattered in their lives. And, you know, the, we wrote that up on, on their wiki and a couple of kids used hmm. the flip cam, used the flip cam to make videos about it. So you can do things without spending, without spending a lot of money and still make it real world. I'll give another example of this, not from my classroom, but from a classroom uh, down in New Hampshire. So for folks who are listening, I live in Maine, uh, New Hampshire, south of us. Uh, a classroom down in New Hampshire years ago uh, where the there was a, a contest hosted by Verizon for app design making and making uh, Android apps. And the, the, the kids had decided that their problem that they were going to solve was an issue around school lunch and not knowing what was in the school lunch in terms of the actual ingredients, not so much the, like the, you know, it's sloppy Joe's today and it's, you know, hamburgers tomorrow sort of thing. Uh, usually it's the other way around hamburgers and then sloppy Joe's. Uh, oh, but, yeah, that's right. <laughs> but their, their issue was what are the ingredients, right? So they built an app that would, that indexed the ingredients in the common school lunches that they had. So it, was a nice way to solve their problem, right? And what they use the MIT App Inventor, which is free, uh, it's completely free. Anyone can get it. You don't even have to have an Android phone to build an Android app with the MIT App Inventor. So there, there are a lot of things you can do without spending money. And you know, to be honest, if I didn't have the budget that I have for my my program right now, I could still do a ton of stuff. I could still do a ton of stuff without. Now, I wouldn't be able to do the robotics stuff, you know, that piece. I, well, you know, it, it would be like one, you know, everyone would be sharing one set of materials as opposed to every kid getting their own materials now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, I can still do a lot of stuff with programming, do a lot of stuff with app design, do a lot of stuff with, with, net, with network security, uh, even if I didn't have a big budget. Yeah, well, thanks for, for providing a couple more examples and just sort of, um, you know, filling that out a bit because that's such an important value. I just wanted to make sure everyone was getting that. The idea of connecting kids to problems they care about. Uh, if we did that more, engagement and learning would increase more more than we could probably imagine. Richard, you're also a cyclist. And the other day I was reading... A book, Atomic Habits by James Clear. He starts off the book talking about the British cycling team. Basically, he tells the story of how the British cycling team went from one of the worst in the world to one of the best by making slight improvements to really every part of their system. Marginal and there's a lot. Gains, they call it, right? What's that? They call it marginal gains. Yeah. Yeah. The, the marginal uh, 1% gain. And there's, there's a lot that education can learn from that example. But really, my question for you in regards to cycling, what, what have you learned from cycling in regards to education? What can we take from what you've learned from cycling and apply it to education? You, you, your, head need, your head's got to be right. Uh, that, that's, that's the biggest thing. Like, you know, I, I do the cycling for, I mean, I... I like cycling. I've done it since I was a little kid, you know, with, a, with about a 10 year hiatus in there for, uh, you know, other, per, other pursuits, did some, you know, did some, a lot of backpacking, some rock climbing, some other stuff in there, but, uh, you know, really got back into cycling about six years, about six years ago, pretty much just before my kids were born. <laughs> um, yeah. It really got, got back into it, uh, as, as a social, as a so, means of socializing with people. Uh, you know, at the, at the time, you know, lived in a town of about 700 people. So there's not a lot of people around. And, you know, w- w- 
I had a had a former colleague who was active in a cycling group a couple of towns away. He was like, "Yeah, you should get a you should get a I've, I've always mountain bike. I've had mountain bikes." Uh, and he's like, "You should get a road bike so you can you can come out on the group rides with us." I'm like, "Yeah, all right, I'll do that." Bought a decent road bike and started riding with with a group of guys and kind of got hooked on it. You know, came into road biking very late in life, and so I have no no illusions of grandeur of uh, you know of ever getting upgraded to like you know being a being a cat two racer or anything like that. Uh, you know, that's not not on the horizon for me. It's really like you know trying to go for my Strava KOMs and and having fun that way. Uh, but the big thing for me is if I don't get out and ride uh, on a consistent basis, meaning like four, five, six times a week mm-hmm. for at least an hour, my mood is best described as depressed to miserable. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and it just carries over into everything when I get that way. Mm. Uh, you know, you know, I'm, I'm not as creative in terms of things I, I produce on my on my blogs, on my websites. I'm definitely not as creative when it, in terms of uh, what I do in my classroom, and also, and I'm just not as patient. Right, that's a mm-hmm. big thing. It's just being patient with uh, being patient with kids. Right, particularly if you come from a from a heritage that's that's uh, a little bit fiery like mine, and uh, you know, so. You know, a lot of it's just mental well-being. Like you've got to be in a you've got to be in a good space for yourself in order to be able to help help other people and be, be helpful for other people. It's uh, that's the big thing for me. And then of course, you know, when I get out there on a on an hour, hour and a half, two hour, four hour ride, you know, my head goes to all kinds of places, and I get all kinds of crazy ideas after a while mm-hmm. uh, because it's just you know. This year it's been just me. There's no group riding right now, uh, which I which I miss. Uh, you know, but I just get out there and just you know go. But and that's always been my been my mo. I mentioned you know I, I did a lot of backpacking in my twenties. Uh, you know, did a you know, dabbled in rock climbing a little bit. You know, done a ton of fly fishing. Did a lot of whitewater uh, rafting in my twenties as well and early thirties. And then yeah, and, and so really it's just it's. A, Whatever pursuit it is, you know, if you run, I, you know, my brother is a is a great runner. Was a, you know sub three three hour marathoner. Uh, you know, another good friend of mine from high school. She's a fantastic marathon runner as well. And uh, you know, th- they're both the same way. Like they, you know, you get out there and you run and clear your mind, and everyone around you is a lot more happy with you too because you're not so miserable. So <laughs> that's yeah. That's what it comes down to, you know, it's just to just keep on, you know, just keep on moving and getting out there and taking care of your head. You know, that's what my EdTech mm-hmm. Fitness website, the little tagline that I, that I made for it was, you know, feel better and teach better. If you feel better, you're, you're, you're going to teach better. When it comes yeah, and down it to seems it. like we've sort of ignored that within schools, especially with kids, right? As you're talking, I'm trying to apply some of what you're saying to like our education system. And I'm starting to cringe a little bit because I'm like, man, we're like shoving these kids into these rooms for hours at a time. And you're talking about the effects that it has on you if you're not out there biking and, and getting moving. <laughs> And we're sort of having the kids go from like room to room, from desk to desk, sort of sitting there taking in. Do you feel like kids maybe need to move around a bit more? Oh, for sure. Oh, 
100 percent, 100 percent. You know, I, I have a group of I have a group of freshmen uh, or had a group of freshmen. I'll have another group of freshmen this year. <laughs> and one of, one of the things I always say about about freshmen and I, and I love teaching. I actually love teaching freshmen, which a lot of high school teachers are like, oh, you got freshmen. Like, I love teaching freshmen. But one of the things I've said for years is freshman boys are ready for high school around January and freshman girls are ready for high school in August, right? Like mm-hmm. it's like that three or four month gap uh, in development, you know, freshman boys, they, they are just wiggly. That's no, there's no other way to put it. Like they're wiggly. Uh, and they've got to get up and move. And mm-hmm. you know, whenever I've taught, whenever I've taught freshmen, I've always made sure that in my, in my plan for the day, there is time for getting up and moving around in some way, shape, or form, whether I've been teaching computer science or I taught social studies, get up and move around. Uh, I had one group of kids, um, old colleague of mine who's, who's since passed on, uh, he and I taught, it, taught a class together uh, kind of the, right towards the end of his career. You know, we had this one group, one group of kids. It, I think we had, I'm trying to remember how many kids were in the class, probably about 15 kids, but we only had three girls uh, and the rest were all boys from the wrestling team and from football team and you know they were this was not an let's just say this was not an ap class let's just put it that way yeah. it's not an ap class and they wanted to start every class with an arm wrestling match for like five weeks straight at once at one stretch and my, my colleague steve taught me a ton he was like yeah let's just do that it's like mm-hmm. get another system we'll do that uh we'll have an arm wrestling match every day and we did for like five weeks we had an arm wrestling match to start of the day every day like okay and that's what we got to do to get them kind of in that place where they can settle down and they can, you know, be ready to learn. Uh, there's an app. That, so I, I wouldn't, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention there's an app that, that I have on my phone. And I think every teacher should have on their phone. It's called Swarkit Kids. And it provides uh, little physical breaks you can do with students in a classroom. So if you don't have a lot of space, it does things like side jump and side hops and, you know, other kinds of fun stuff like that. So can you spell that, uh, uh yeah, that app out? S W O R K I T Swarkit. Yeah. Cool. So, so you do a lot of road, uh, cycling these days. Uh, what's the longest road cycling span? I don't know. What, what would I, how would I say that? What's the longest road cycling Longest ride I've done. Okay. What you're asking is, what's the longest ride I've done? Yes, yes. Let's say that. <laughs> the, long, the longest single day ride that I've done is 202 miles. Okay. So I did a 202 mile uh, ride last June for uh, for an organization called the Fast Freddy Foundation, which provides bicycles to underprivileged children. Uh, hmm. Largely, largely children who are in foster homes, uh, and it, the, the foundation is named after Freddie Rodriguez, who was uh, four-time U.S. Nat, U.S. National Pro uh, Road Cycling Champion. Uh, you know, one stage is the Giro d'Italia, uh, wore the green jersey for a day or two in the, in the Tour de France. You know, he's a legit rider. Uh, yeah, so uh, that's the longest one I've done in a single day. Uh, I've done a bunch, uh, and that was with a group. There were uh, five of us that did it together, including Freddie. Uh, so Freddie and 
four other four other guys from my area. We, we all did it together. Uh, we raised uh, raised a few thousand dollars for it that day. Uh, and then I've done a bunch of hundred mile rides by myself. Uh, that's kind of my you know, I try to do try to do those. Uh, I, my goal is to like do one one a month. Although I haven't done any this year. Uh, I've come close. I've done some eighty mile rides this year. But I haven't done a 100-mile ride yet this year, but I'm going to do that before school starts, so in the next couple of weeks. Thinking about that 202-mile ride, I, I've never uh, ridden that far on a bike. When you're at, what, do you, what does it feel like when you're at about mile, let's just say, 190? You know, you still get, you're not that close to the finish line, but you've gone a lot of miles. What does that feel like? 190 actually feels good. Okay. 190 is actually really good. Uh, the, the, the torturous part yeah. was the like one thirty to one fifty five ish. Okay. How do you get through that? Uh, a lot of Coca-Cola. <laughs> <laughs> you're drinking Coke while you're, oh, yeah. While you're- yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot of, so, uh, yeah, a lot of Coca-Cola, uh, a lot of, a lot of Coca-Cola, uh, because at that point, like you just, you're just fighting off bonking. Right at that point, you you have burned all your fat reserves for the most part. Like the the idea with a long ride like that, and I was training for a bit another big two hundred mile ride this year uh, that got canceled because of COVID nineteen. Uh, called the DK two hundred, which is a two hundred mile gravel ride across Kansas uh, in Poirier, Kansas. But anyway, um, you know, with that type of effort, any kind of really long effort beyond like seventy five miles your goal is to try to burn fat for as long as possible before you start burning your carbohydrates you've taken in. Uh, but at that point in the day, you know, you know, and I've done some other rides that are, that have hit at 150 and every single one of them, it's for me, it's around that 125, 135 where it really becomes torturous for me. Uh, and that's because I've burned off all the fat and now you're just trying to, keep going and get over that that hump and then once you got over that hump it's like okay all right now i got this but there's a there's a dark period there for about an hour or so Hmm. okay we gotta you know yeah coca-cola is great coca-cola is great uh freddie ate uh hostess donuts as we're gone (laughs) uh you know those little uh donuts like the you get the gas station yeah uh we, we had a few gas station stops along the way so yeah, so donuts. Uh, one guy was drinking YooHoo. Uh, yeah, I think John was drinking YooHoo. So you know, I can't drink milk. Like, I mean, I can. I just don't like it. I'm yeah, YooHoo. Yeah, you know, whatever. So these are like all the exact opposite of things that I would like picture you guys uh, eating and drinking. I would think that Coke would you know make you dehydrated. I would think that Hostess donuts <laughs> would give you a cramp, but I guess not. <laughs> no, no, because you know like at that point it's all about just calories. It's like it's, it's, you just put you're okay. to, you know cuz 200, 200 miles have burned I, I, I could look up the I could look up the data uh, on my on my Garmin watch, but you know, we burned close to 10,000 calories that day, right? So it doesn't matter. You're like you want to put in food that you can get down. That's the big mm. thing. You put in food you want to get down. Like when I, but when I'm doing like a 50 mile ride, you know, or even like a 70 mile ride around my house, that's when that's when I'm eating the stuff that you that you would picture. Like that's when I'm eating the cliff. That's when I'm eating the cliff bars. Yeah. When I'm having the the energy chews, that sort of stuff. But on those big days, 
you know, it's, it's about real food. You know, when I, when I rode in, when I did a, uh, some mountain biking in Iceland, uh, with, with an old, old friend of mine, old girlfriend of mine, I should say, not just an old friend, old girlfriend of mine. And I, we rode in Iceland, uh, you know, I was drink, I was eating like, uh, salmon and cucumbers, like hmm. not, not again, not stuff you would typically associate with, Hey, we're doing a huge mountain biking thing. Let's eat really good healthy energy snacks now salmon cucumbers uh a lot of cookies i went went through a ton of cookies i'm i love cookies so (laughs) keeping with uh the fitness theme you also have a website edtechfitness.com which which you mentioned a little while ago um why was that site important for you to create that was something i did to motivate myself so i mentioned that you know i got into site i got into road site i've been you know, I mountain biked for as long as I can remember, you know, even before there were mountain bikes and I was just hucking my BMX bike off dirt piles around my house growing up. Uh, I've always done that sort of stuff. Uh, but I got into road cycling when I was 35. So actually it's almost seven years ago now. I got into road cycling when I was 35. So everyone doing the math. Yes. I'm going to be 42 soon. Uh, <laughs> you're wondering. Uh, so, but then my kids were born, you know, just a lot, you know, anyone who's, who's had kids knows that there's just, you're just surviving chaos, right? Like you're just trying to manage chaos in those, that first year of like, you know, and I had two kids in 14 months. I had two kids in the span of 14 months. So, uh, some things got kind of put off to the side, right? And one of those things was my regular bike rides, uh, not, not only road biking, but mountain biking. I, I even sold my mountain bike. That's how little hmm. biking I was doing. And I was the biggest I'd ever been in my life, uh, except for one time in college when I was trying to gain weight by lifting weights and drinking a ton of milk. Uh, I was I was huge. Uh, all things being relative, I was huge for my liking, right? Uh, and I was like, this is something's got to like, I, and, and I was having back pain you know, that was associated with, with gaining weight and people who are, who've seen, who have known me for a long time, you know, might be like, I don't remember you gaining weight. I'm like, Oh yeah, I gained weight. Um, and so I started the website December, 2017. So just before, was that, is that right? No, December, December, 2018, sorry, December, 2018, because I really wanted to motivate myself to get back in sh- to like, just be accountable. Right. Just be accountable for showing up and doing the work, you know, even if it was just getting on the bike trainer for 20 minutes or 25 minutes a day. It was something right. Just get moving. And a lot of good came out of that. Like, again, you know, my mood, my mood improved. That's probably one of the depending on the day, I would say that's the biggest benefit. Uh, The other big benefit, of course, is, you know, the weight loss. I I lost about third. I lost all the weight that I had uh, that I'd put on since my kids were born. So, you know, in the span of about fourteen months, I put on about thirty pounds, and in the span of about six months of of starting that that website, I, I lost thirty pounds. So, oh, wow. uh, and with and and I suck at dieting. So that was the other big piece of it. Like, I am the world's worst. Uh, person when it comes to impulse control on snacking like i i stress snack that's the that's my big thing like 
if I'm stressed out, I'll grab a bag of, of, uh, of tortilla chips and salsa. And before I know it, half of it's gone. Like if we're having a stressful conversation in our house, uh, I'll devour half of half of a bag of chips, like, mm-hmm. like nothing. So for me, a lot of it was just like stress management in a, in a good, healthy way. Of, okay. I'm gonna get on the bike for 30 minutes. I'm gonna get on the bike for 25 minutes. I'm gonna get on the bike for an hour. I'm gonna get on the bike for an hour and a half. You just doing that consistently. was the biggest thing. And then, you know, and I invited other people to, to join in with me and then, you know, some other benefits that, that came along. I said, I, I mentioned I was having awful back pain to the point that we flew to uh, uh, we flew to Florida for Christmas, and I was like almost useless in terms of carrying my kids uh, after getting off the plane because I just was having so much back pain. Uh, you know, I, and I'm like I'm not even forty, and I'm having this awful back pain, or I just turned forty, I should say, I just turned forty. Uh, and I'm like I'm having this awful back pain. And, you know, after like a month of consistently riding my bike again, I didn't have back pain anymore. Uh, hmm. Just all the, you know, just so many good benefits from moving. And so I, I give a shout out to uh, one of my old colleagues, old colleague and current colleague again, uh, Lance Belanger, who teaches phys ed and health in my school district, uh, MSAD 17 here in Maine. He went out and got a grant about seven or eight years ago now for a program, a, a huge grant, $3 million grant to overhaul uh, the phys ed curriculum in our, in our district so that it included a lot more lifelong sports uh, as opposed to so getting away from ball sports and team sports, but getting into things that kids can do you know, on their own if no one else shows up. Right, because we we see the there's all kinds of data about this, right? Like uh, kids graduate from high school, they might have been awesome athletes, could have been varsity football player, varsity soccer player, or whatever, and then they never exercise again in data for in their lives because they no longer have that team network around them, right? So Lance got this huge grant uh, and overhauled the the curriculum so that it included mountain biking. So the school, the district now has mountain bikes, uh, got tons of like rollerblades and also the, the ski, the ski rollerblades. So in Maine, there's cross country skiing in the wintertime. So we have that too. Uh, tons of cross country skiing stuff, uh, you know, just doing stuff like geocaching, all, like all kinds of stuff that you can do even if nobody shows up. Right. Yeah just to get people moving and it, it has so many benefits to just get outside and, and keep moving. That's great. Yeah. Thanks for, for sharing that. And thanks for, for sharing your website. Um, once again, it's ed tech fitness and I'll link to this in, in the show notes. Um, but edtechfitness.com um, and just a lot of helpful guidance to, you know, I would just explain it sort of to live a healthy lifestyle. And and I think the way that you phrase things uh, meets people on different levels. And I think it's really helpful. And you also provide insight into like what you have going on. And and I think sometimes that can be really helpful for people to see and it can be motivating and also insightful in the, the same vein. So Richard, I'm sitting here talking to you and I just glanced at the amount of time that we've been talking <laughs> and, uh, and I, and we're getting up to the 50 minute mark and we have not 
talked about your blog, which is super well-known, read pretty much around the world, freetechfortteachers.com. And in my mind, I'm sort of going through, well, could, should we talk about that? What could I edit out of our conversation? And, and I really can't think of anything that, that I could take out. So what I really want to do is I want to mention that, but I don't want to delve too much into that right now because I don't want to shortchange it. And, and what I really want to do is I want to highlight all of the wonderful things that we have talked about, right? You've taken us into your classroom and you have showed us uh, kids working on projects, you know, getting them to do things that they care about. Then we've talked about cycling. We've talked about fitness. We've talked about mental health. We've talked about so many things. And I feel like if I begin to ask you questions about this, it might be squeezing it in. And, and it also might give us an excuse to have another conversation, maybe in the future, have you back on and we can uh, do it justice in the future. Would that be okay with you? Yeah, that, that, that'd be great. I'd be happy to come back sometime. And I'm a rambler. Uh, and, you know, yeah, I, I looked up the clock. I'm like, oh man, this is this is getting into Joe Rogan territory in terms of the, <laughs> the podcast. So uh, for those who don't know, Joe Rogan has like these three hour, three and a half hour, epically long podcasts. <laughs> but uh, so we're, we don't want, we don't want to get down that road right now. But but this has been great. And as we bring it to a close, uh, who do you want to give a shout out to? Uh, so uh, I give a shout out to my, to my old colleague, to my colleague Lancer. Uh, I will also give a shout out to two other people, Sylvia Martinez and Gary Steger. Their book, Invent to Learn, and uh, much of Gary's work over the years has really influenced a lot of my thinking around project-based learning. I shouldn't even call it project-based learning, but just learning in general and, and, and how to you know, format and phrase, phrase prompts for kids. Uh, I, I think Gary's work, Gary and Sylvia's work doesn't get the attention that it, that it should in the social media landscape because it's not necessarily flashy. But it's this amazing work. Yeah, thanks for thanks for highlighting them. And it's time for the final word. What would you like to say to close out this podcast? Try things and ask for help. Perfect. Richard, this has been an absolute blast. Thank you so much for joining me on Diving Deep EDU. I appreciate your time sharing your experiences, giving us your insight, and helping us think deeper about these important issues. To those listening, thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Diving Deep EDU. If you like this episode, subscribe, share it out, post a review on Apple Podcasts. All of those things will help get this podcast out to more people. Until next time. Wow, it's time to reflect. That's astounding. You've been checking out the podcast from Matthew Downing. Hope you like diving deep like a scuba diver. And the show provoked hope. That's our true desire. 